0: Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. So let's read Jonah 1, 1.16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him.
1: Our Father, we, we come before you knowing that we aren't um, perfect, that we are a people who have hearts Uh, that are sinful, that are are rebellious against you. And and as as we read the book of Jonah, help us to be able to not only relate to Jonah, but also to see ourselves in the story. Help us to see ourselves before you as our good uh, God of unrelenting mercy. And so I do pray, Lord, as we sit before your word today, may your spirit be at work moving our hearts towards you and towards a heart of of repentance and obedience uh, for the sake of our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. some of you guys might be a bit too young for this, but who here grew up with choose-your-own-adventure books? Right? Everyone that's probably born after 95, 99, before. Do you guys, so who here doesn't know choose-your-own-adventure books? There's a few. Yeah, that's, oh, wow. So there's, it's, there are these books that I grew up with, and I used to borrow them from the library, where you'd read through them, and you can, it would it at some point in the story, and you can choose which direction you go. So let's say, if you want to go down this path, turn to this page, or if you want to fight this dragon, turn to this, something like that. And that was the Choose Your own Adventure book. And so I'd go through this book and I'd doggy tag everything to find out all the possible scenarios. And that's what I did, right? Choose your own adventure. I loved that stuff. From a young age, it was all about that. And it was like playing a video game for me, a video game or Dungeons and Dragons, if you're into that. Like these books gave me a sense of control. Uh, I somehow had the power to change the outcome of a story. And as a kid, these books really tapped into my need for control, which only became stronger as I became a teenager and an adult. Uh, If you know my story at all, you know I hated uh, the expectations that came with being the only son. I'm the only son in a family of uh, six kids. I have five sisters. And for me, that meant being a good boy, finishing a a law degree and making lots of money so a girl will marry me one day and, and so I can carry on the Thai legacy. That was what I was expected of. And I felt suffocated by that. I hated having my freedoms limited, especially in our Western individualistic culture where we're told that we are the authors of our own stories. It's our right to carve out our own path and to choose our own adventure. And isn't that generally true? of your experience as well. Whereas are sold this narrative that we cannot be uh, truly fulfilled, that we cannot be truly satisfied unless we chase our dreams, pursue our unique desires, or we should reconsider, even reject anyone or any authority who tells us otherwise. We do look up to people, don't we, in society, who are uh, autonomous, who are self-sufficient, who are even a little rebellious. Uh, I think of the, um, the famous actor now, Simu Lu, if you know him. He became famous through that movie, Shang-Chi, a uh, uh, Marvel movie. He was the guy who, against his parents' wishes, gave up his boring accounting job at Deloitte to become a Marvel superhero. Wow. You know? Uh, or the travel blogger. Right? Like maybe you're on Facebook or TikTok and you, it keeps popping up, that travel blogger who gave up their nine-to-five job and now earns passive income while living it up in Bali and doing yoga retreats and all that. Or or the entrepreneur who dropped out of high school right, and built up a million-dollar company from their garage. Like You hear these stories, and we admire that. Aren't these the type of people that our world worships, people who can shake off that status quo and choose their own adventure? Self-made, self-sufficient. Aren't they the markers of a successful and happy life? So I can imagine. I can imagine that it scares us when we meet a God who calls us to obey Him. It might scare us to have a God who calls us to depend on Him, to surrender control of our lives over to Him. It terrifies us that there are people even, Christians, who allow God to author our adventures. What God would ask of me, what it would uh, mean for my happiness, what it would mean for my comfort, my status, my reputation, my security, my freedom even my very life as I live out my short years in this world? Why would you? Why would I? Why would we surrender that need for control and follow God's call to live, out, uh, to live your life for him and not for yourself? You see, that's something that the prophet Jonah in the Bible struggled with as well. And as we spend the next four weeks in the book of Jonah, we're going to get a picture of who this God is and why he is so worth our worship and obedience in our lives. So let's get into it. Keep your Bibles open, because at Jonah 1, we, at, in Jonah 1, because we're going to unpack this, and, and I want you to follow along where, where we're going. So let's read the first three verses again in Jonah chapter 1 to get some context of what's going on. First one says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Let's stop there. Now, on these first three verses, right, reading those, what do we know? We know God speaks directly to Jonah and Jonah runs away. Right, straight up, Jonah sounds like he's a hes a bit of a coward, isn't he? Uh, one of the guys who read Jonah recently uh, with me said, Jonah sounds like a, a blockhead. Now, I've never used that word ever in my life to describe anyone, but I understand the sentiment. He sounds like a blockhead. If, if the Bible is meant to inspire us with these stories of courage and, uh, and heroism, Jonah sounds like a guy that is everything but that. We want the hero to be courageous and strong, to be the, the, the superhero that we are. And the figures in the Bible are meant to be brave and show us what the ideal man or woman under God looks like. But Jonah, Jonah isn't someone you want to root for. This guy looks like a coward, a blockhead. God, you could have given us someone with a bit more backbone, right? But let's hold up on passing judgment because Jonah is human, and we all know humans are complex creatures. Let's not write them off too quickly. Let's get an idea of who he is and what might be going on when we scratch beneath the surface a little bit. Let me first give you an introduction to who Jonah is. Jonah is a prophet, right? That means he's someone who God speaks directly with and has a word from God to deliver to God's people, to, You'll discover this happens a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, God uses uh, God uses prophets to be his mouthpiece, to speak and communicate. Today, living in 2022, we have the Bible. We don't need prophets. God gives us Jesus, the final word we need. And Jesus came into history, so we have the Bible now. We don't need prophets. That's how God communicates through us today. But in the Old Testament, the prophets are those God uh, God spoke to. And Jonah's book is really quite a unique story because usually in the prophecies, in the prophets throughout the Old Testament, they're usually prophecies. They're usually long uh, speeches talking to God's people. But here in Jonah, we're actually reading a narrative, only, A story about the prophet himself. We're reading about Jonah. Now, his name actually makes an appearance a couple of times in the Bible. The first one, and I'm just going to refer you to this one, is actually back in 2 Kings chapter 14. This is where we hear about Jonah for the first time. I've got this on the screen for you, hopefully. Yep, 14, 23 to 20. Let's read it together. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, jo- 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 king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. So we're talking about Jeroboam the second here. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from the to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gathepha. Quite interesting, isn't it? And so Jonah here, this is a period of around 700, to 800, 8th century BC, 800 BC. The kingdom of Israel at this point is split into two kingdoms. Okay, there was civil wars and there are two kingdoms now. Uh, the north is called Israel still, the bottom is called Judah. They were once united. They were all just once Israel. But now there's two kingdoms, north and south. Jonah here appears in two, two kings, and he's in the north kingdom of Israel under this king, Jeroboam II, right? And Jonah is a prophet. He gives this word to Jeroboam that the boundary lines uh, will be established, will be restored, and that's what happens. His prophecy to Jeroboam II, the king, this actually evil king, is, it happens. It, it, the prophecy is, uh, comes true. So this is a prophet, a man in in the king's court who brings, in a sense, a victory to the kingdom. Now, that's Israel. North of Israel is the kingdom called Assyria. It's the nation called Assyria. It's this growing powerful nation at the time that's an enemy to Israel. In a generation's time after Jonah, this nation, Assyria, will come and conquer Israel. They'll defeat Israel and take Israel into exile. So we have to understand something about Assyria. To, to Israel, God's people, they're a wicked, evil, violent bunch. And guess where Nineveh is? It's the capital city of Assyria. So Jonah's living in Israel. Assyria is to the north. Assyria is to the north. And Nineveh is to the north of where he is. You've got this sin city where God recognizes they're evil and wants Jonah, who's a prophet at the time, to speak up, to go to Nineveh, into the heart, you know, the belly of the beast, to speak against them. The type of nation, the type of city you'd be praying to God for to smite and destroy and to judge. But Jonah's like, you want me to go there? we got to understand that context, don't we, a bit first. You got a guy who's probably living in some comfort, at a level of success in his job, well-respected, being asked to go into enemy territory, territory to share about his God, to an evil, wicked people. It's like, it's like you were a Jewish person living in World War II, being called to have a meeting with Hitler, asking him to repent and follow your God, and then you'll be my brother in Christ. Like, oh, brother, brother, you know, whatever. Like, it's, you're under the same God. This, 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 the same man who slaughtered your own people. It, it's a crazy thought, because deep down you'd want justice, wouldn't you? We'd all want justice. We'd want God to actually judge that person and destroy them. So Jonah's call is by no means an easy task, is it? It would be terrifying. Why would anyone want to go to Nineveh? Let God deal with them. Let God's justice and might come swiftly upon them. And so as an Israelite living back then, hearing this call Jonah has been given, you would feel, I would feel exactly the same as Jonah. Run, run, Jonah, run. Far, far away, get on a boat, sail as far as you can. That's what he does. As we unpack what happens, I want us to take note of how we see these characters. Right? The characters in this story, is in chapter one at least, and how they act and respond. We're going to look at the scenario through the lens of Jonah, the sailors, and then of God. And then we're going to see how we fit into the story. Let's start with Jonah. He goes down to Joppa. It's a seaport town on the coast, and he wants to sail to Tarshish. I've got a map on the screen, I think. Yes, I've got a map. Uh, th- this map is uh, just a. Uh, you, can, you probably can't see much, but this is where he lives, Gath Heifer. This is dropping so he goes down to the seaport town and this is the the journey to tarshish which is like modern day spain for us right so the mediterranean nineveh is up here by foot right quite close not too far and that's tarshish it's 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 a long journey isn't it it's it's a very long journey uh he, he in his mind he's like let's get as far away as possible and I, I totally get this i mean run away as far as you can run away from your Problems and responsibilities. Back in 2018, I actually, uh, I was going through a really hard year and what I did was I booked tickets to Tasmania with my friend Adam and we climbed mountains for a whole week and hiked in nature and got off the grid because I just did not want to deal with anyone or anything. And so I went down to Tasmania. In 2019, things got hard again. So I took Hardy with me to London, as far away as possible from Brisbane and spent three weeks over there. And yeah, you can call this escapism, but I call it a break. And you know, and you have to face your problems eventually, right? And so. I totally get how Jonah feels. Go as far away as possible as you can from all your problems, your responsibilities. But it's not just that, is it? What are, we, what are we told? We're told in verse 3, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Not just run away from problems and responsibilities. Flee from the Lord. He wants to run as far away from God as he can. He's desperate. Crazy thing is, is, is Israel, they were land people. They weren 't sailors or seafarers, they lived on land, they were in their element as people who lived on hillsides and in the country. They might have been fishermen at most, you know but going out on the ocean that 's a one way ticket <laughs> you know when you 're going out on the you 're running away you 're not coming back. The water spelled chaos, it was the unknown, and the journey to Nineveh was on was on foot. why wouldn't you go to Nineveh It's so much closer, so much easier than going out on a boat out to the ocean to the unknown, but that 's what Jonah does he goes down to Joppa he gets onto a boat and he wants to sail as far away from God as possible so far you know our protagonist Jonah he doesn't come across as a, a hero of the faith does he someone who would rather leave and abandon his faith running from God rejecting God rebelling against God against the God he worships what is he thinking like we said, we, I get it. It's an un- uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable calling. It's inconvenient. It's disruptive. He's probably living in a, in a sense of comfort in the king's court. But simply put, I don't think he really likes the people of Nineveh. So what Jonah's doing is he's trying to reclaim control over his life. This is my life. I don't want any part of God's plans. I'll give up the prophet status. I'm going to go sail into the sunset and not look back. And wow, I feel like when I hear this, I, I'm, I'm looking at the man in the mirror, aren't I? Uh, isn't this so true for us as well? We like God when it suits us, when it's convenient for us, when we're comfortable and looked after. We're happy for God to have control over our lives when everything is working out for our good. But as soon as God calls us to something a little inconvenient, something that takes us out of our comfort zone, something that might even be a, a bit of a sacrifice, See you later, God. Run in the other direction. And so interesting, isn't it? Jonah thinks by getting on a boat, he can run away from God. You know, uh, m- maybe for him, he's thinking God's presence is in Israel. He's not living in Tarshish. I'm going to go there. He goes there to hide. And so he's playing this game of hide and seek with God. And hands down, I think hide and seek is one of the best kids game ever. I'm not gonna, you know, Don't fight me on that. It's at, in theory, at least, it's a pretty fun game. You don't have to talk to anyone, one. And you can just chill in a hiding spot and no one's, you know, no one's overly competitive with you. They're not trying to smack you down or anything like that. It's, it's clean fun, right? The thing about hide and seek, though, especially as a little kid, is that kids aren't really good at hiding. That, let's be honest. And sometimes that's what we do with God, right? Our, our, our feet are poking out under the curtains. Our, our giggles are being heard from under the dining table. Our fingers are clutching onto the wardrobe doors, you know. We can't hide from God. We can't run from his presence. And Jonah should know this. There's a psalm written about this in in Psalm 139, just a few verses. Got on the screen as well. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You can't run or hide from God. And Jonah soon discovers that. Let's keep reading from verse 4. I'm going to read a a big section here, so follow follow along with me if you can. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I love this, right? First, he goes down to the city called Dropper to get on a boat. Then he goes onto the boat and he goes down below deck. Then when he gets woken up, he tells him to throw him where? Down into the sea, down to his watery grave, Davy Jones's locker. He really does not want to go to Nineveh. And, and, and what he does, right, on this boat, it's totally re- relatable for some of you guys Yeah, I know you guys, when you're overwhelmed by stress, too many problems, just go to sleep. He'll go away, right? Some people are so good at sleeping their problems away. I wish it were me, but it's not. Jonah is sleeping during a violent storm. And, and, and it's raging outside, ho- hoping he can escape from God's presence. And so he gets woken up. And guess what? He can't escape his problems. You can't flee from God. He has to face it. And so the sailors ask him, after they question him, Jonah says, I know that it is my fault. This why this great storm has come upon you. He recognizes it. He calls the God, what does he call The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, the creator God who knows our actions and he calls us to follow him. But Jonah, he knows it in his head, but in his heart, it's so, dis- so distant from that truth. His heart says, run, run as far away as you can. And if he can't control, have control of his own life, well, just throw me overboard then. If I can't run, I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. And we see that that's going on in Jonah's heart. Let's see it through the lens of the sailors. What's going on with them? They find themselves in this furious storm, so powerful and ferocious that they have to throw their own cargo overboard to save their lives. We're told they're so afraid they're calling out to their own gods. In the ancient world, right, this, You know, these pagan sailors, they're, they're um, polytheistic. That means they have multiple gods that they pray to. The god of agriculture or fertility or the weather, the God of love and thunder. So here we go. They're praying to their gods. And, 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 and for us in Australia, this might not be as, as, as common. Uh, I've spoken to one of our regulars, Rajesh, here, about life in India, and he tells me about how everyone has their own god that they pray to. Everyone has a god, multiple gods, that they pray to. But the funny thing is, even though we live in Australia and we don't hear it as much, Go, if you go online and look up the statistics, the latest census in the last few years, it indicates that 70% of our nation adhere to some sort of religion or faith. Whether it's Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Sikhism, Taoism, whatever it might be, it means that even in our Western context, still around 70% of Australians believe that there's some divine power out there. Someone who might hear our prayers, even if it's the universe. Just like these sailors, They're terrified. And and the captain wakes up Jonah and literally says, How can you sleep? Wake up, call on your God, whoever that God might be, so we might not perish. So we might not perish. And there's no confidence there, is there? Do whatever it takes. Throw all the cargo off. Try to control your circumstances. At the end of the day, humanity, all of humanity realizes we're not in control. All we can do is get on our knees and pray to some divine being, hopefully, and hoping that they're listening. Hopefully that they'll they spare our lives. But then you have Jonah, who's just chilling, just sleeping. We aren't told that he's scared. There's no fear. He there doesn't talk about his fear. He knows, he's aware, the storm has been sent by God. It's his fault. And the sailors, they're not prepared to throw this man overboard. And they think, oh, well, maybe we have the power to fight the storm. And so what do they do? They start rowing. Row, row, row your boat. We're in control. We've got this. But the storm grew even more violent. And they're at this point of desperation. What do we hear? Verse 14. They cried out to the Lord. Right? This is Jonah's Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, the sailors, came to recognize this sovereign God. And I love this part in verse 16. They greatly feared the Lord. They offer a sacrifice to the Lord. They made vows to the Lord. All these active, active words in the direction of God, towards God, the God who is in control. And isn't that a wonderful truth? We would... Wish and pray for our friends to also know. Our friends who pray to their gods, to their statues, who pray to the universe. Hey, guess what? There's a God who's the creator, who knows you, who loves you, who you can pray to, who listens and hears your prayers. Wouldn't we want that for all our friends as well? The sailors, their heart, their actions, it moves from fear to this violent storm, fear of the violent storm, to fear of the Lord. And it's included here for us because that should be precisely Jonah's response to God's call for him. The sailor's attitude toward God, one of awe and respect and worship, is where this section of the text leaves us. And it's really telling of something, isn't it? Even the rebellion and rejection of God by Jonah, we can still see that God is in control, even through a raging storm. He'll use terrifying, life-threatening circumstances and bring about salvation, even to these pagan, polytheistic sailors. You see, that's the big picture this text is pointing us to. It's to God, the bigness of God. Jonah can't run from him. The sailors can't escape his power and control over the elements. We're gonna see throughout even all these four chapters of Jonah that God is actually the big player in the story, not Jonah, that God is a God of sovereign providence. And you guys should know by now, when I say providence, it doesn't mean providing, even though it sounds like it, providence means God governs all things. He has planned all things out. He sustains the universe that we live in. He knows Jonah is going to run, so he sends a storm. He's going to send a big fish in the next chapter. He's going to uh, use a little tiny worm in in chapter 4 to do his bidding. God is a God who's big and powerful and sovereign and in control of our past and present and future. And no matter how much we don't want to believe in this God, or, or or think, uh, believe in this God or think we can run away from him this is the God who is the God of sovereign providence but you know what, for me at least I am glad he's in control I am thankful that this powerful God who controls the winds and the waves is the God I can pray to and depend on because the winds and the waves will come for sure in a world like ours as unpredictable and tumultuous as ours we will face grief, won't we? we'll face anxiety, we'll face uncertainty and insecurity. Day by day, we'll feel the weight of our world and the sin and brokenness of our humanity. But I can also trust that God is there with me. I mean, you and I, we live long enough and you know we're not in control of our circumstances. Things happen that you can't plan for or predict. Your life is not in your hands as smart as you are, as competent as you think you might be, You and I, we're left with with leaving things into the hands of what people call fate, whatever mute or deaf God we want to pray to. And you can hope that you won't perish like the sailors, throw all the cargo overboard, try to rescue yourself, or we can come to the God of heaven, the maker and creator of the land and the sea, the one who knows and loves you, the God of providence, who has everything planned out for you for our good and his glory. You see, I asked earlier, why would you surrender your life to God? Well, here's the answer, because not only is he our powerful creator, he's also good. The beauty of this story as Christians is that it makes us step back and see, actually, Jonah isn't just a blockhead, is he? Jonah, well, he's you and he's me. Don't we all run from God at times? Aren't we all a little afraid to surrender control over to God, to let him have the say over the way we use our time our love our finances our energy our very lives too often when god calls us to do his will we'll get on a boat instead and sail to tarshish and when i say tashish, i mean we'll run to our work hopefully hoping that our work if i just work longer hours build up a name for myself i can find comfort and peace and security there or our tarshish might be our, our relationships and, and sex i know god is meant to be all satisfying i know god is meant to fulfill all my needs but right now i'm so lonely. I'm so unsatisfied. I'll come back to God later. Let me worship love because I think my heart needs that more than God. Our Tarshish might look something even like our laziness. Running away from God looks a lot like binging Netflix every night, hoarding our money, passively and selfishly just going through the motions without any thought to what God's will is for me. That passivity and laziness, man, that's comfortable, isn't it? And my comfort is a lot more important than what God wants of me. I'm going to sail the Tarshish. You see, we call this rejection sin as Christians. And sin isn't just actively rejecting God through actions that disobey him, yes, that disobedience, yes, that's sin, but it's passive too in the way we don't do the things God calls us to. We're all guilty of this, 100% me included. And we have to wake up to this reality. Our sense of control is just a passing illusion. We all have to face the reality that sin and death has its grip on us ultimately. And we have to understand that the heart of sin is that rejection the rebellion against god that Jonah shows us here in chapter one we can live a life rejecting god again and again and again but at some point we've all got to wake up and realize there's going to be a storm that you can't escape that you can't hide from a storm that looks like judgment and death for a life rejecting god so what do we do give up throw me overboard just let me die God wants us to see the bigger picture. Because there was another one, another man who was a greater Jonah. His name is Jesus. And interestingly, he was born in a city not far from Jonah, not far from Gath-Hepha, where Jonah grew up. He once found himself on a boat as well in a violent storm. In Mark chapter 4, you can read about it. Instead of throwing himself overboard, though, to calm the storm, what does he do? He uses his words, a few words, to still a raging storm. His power was on full display and the sailors on the boat that day with Jesus, they stood in fear and awe of him. But you see, Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the son of God himself who went out of his way, left the comfort of heaven, inconvenienced himself to come to our world and serve the very people who reject him. Jesus came to bring the, the, the word from God to his people, but he himself was the word of God, to a broken and sinful humanity. And this word of God was perfectly obedient. He was called by God and he trusted God and he su- surrendered control to God and that led him to the cross to sacrifice his very life. How good is this greater Jonah, <laughs> Jesus? That, is, that, that would not have been easy. I imagine at many points along the way, Jesus would have thought, man, maybe I should just do my own thing and sail the Tarshish. I'd rather do that than face the fate of going to a Roman cross in my 30s. But he gave up his life, died on the cross, not to save just a bunch of sailors, but to ultimately calm the violent storm of judgment that humanity would face for our sin and our disobedience to God. And you see, it's our faith in Jesus and by his mercy and grace that we're saved. See, Jesus is the story, the hero of this story. He is the one that the story of a reluctant prophet or the reluctant christian like you and me points us to see the glory and goodness of our god that we can trust see that we have a savior in jesus that is worth, worthy of following because he is powerful and he is good do you believe this of our god do you believe that he is the god of heaven the maker of the land and the sea our creator who knows you and loves you if you do then we all need to ask ourselves what jonah should be asking himself How does my life reflect that truth? The funny thing is about Jonah, what he says to the sailors is really interesting. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Mm, Really? Really, Jonah? Do you? He makes this public confession, like many of us here do as well. I'm a Christian. I worship Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it's just a bit of lip service, isn't it? Because my life doesn't look any different to the sailors around me. Intellectually, yes, in my brain, I believe and worship Jesus, yes, but in my life and in my heart, that belief has not led to transformation. It has not led to submission. True belief leads to willing submission and joyful obedience in God. We have to be honest with ourselves. Jonah needs to be honest with himself. Are we just passively sleepwalking through life, going along with the grain of culture, looking a lot more like the pagan sailors around me rather than a life that shines for Jesus? Because each and every one of us who call ourselves Christians, we've been called by God as well to take up our cross. We've been commanded by God to obey him. And I can't dilute that, right? His greatest commands are simple. Love God and love others. Make disciples. And as simple as that sounds, I know it terrifies us. That notion impedes on my freedom and what I want for my life. It's true, isn't it, that our default is to not love God and not love others, but to love ourselves and put ourselves on the throne of control in our own lives. And the only way you'd want to even consider it, truly consider it, it's not because you want to avoid death, not because you want to avoid judgment, but because you've seen the beauty, the undeniable love of Jesus, where we see the God-man who surrendered his control for the sake of others, where we see Jesus, his relentless mercy, his grace and love for sinners like you and I. And when we look to him and know the salvation that comes from his sacrifice, wow, that's the God I want to pray to. That's the God I want to surrender my life to. Because honestly, let's face it, I'm a blockhead just like Jonah. I need Jesus. I need his love. I need his forgiveness. I need his mercy. And when I truly believe that, get that, and trust that, I shouldn't be running in the other direction. I'll be running back again and again and again to God, surrendering my life to him and desiring to live out his call for me. Yes, life is like a choose-your-own-adventure book. And sometimes I look around and see that we're, we're all trying to figure that out, right? We're all trying to choose our own adventure in this world with the least resistance, hoping for the best, hoping for the most security and comfort. But there's one thing that we all share in common in this room. For those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, If we believe God is worthy of our worship, we'll all be a people willing to surrender our lives, willing to obey, and willing to go where he calls us to. Let's pray for that now. Father, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for Jesus who went out of his way to heed your call, to bring your word to us, to be the word, to sacrifice his life, to give his life so that we could know life, so that we could know you and have a relationship with our good and great God. Help us to see the beauty and love that comes from the cross. And Lord, through that, help us to see that we, um, even though Jonah is so relatable, help us to be a people, Lord, who are, who are moving towards Jesus and not towards Jonah, looking towards the, the greater hope that we have in him. And Lord, that because of you, because of your greatness, because you, you are worthy of worship. Help us to surrender our lives, surrender control before, before you. I do pray for this, Lord. I pray that your spirit will be at work uh, helping us to recognize our sin, helping us to repent of our sin and, and turn from it and turn to obedience. Help us to be a people, Lord, who are shining the light of Christ to those around us. Help us, Lord, by your spirit to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.